Yeah. It's very exciting to have Claire with us. Claire is uh, one of our central congregation leaders. And as Sophie said earlier, she's kicking off our new series. Brilliant. Thanks. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. So good to be here. Um, first of all, apologies if I have a coughing fit. I'm kind of post uh, some kind of lurgy and so I might have to keep on stopping for drinks. Um, <clears throat> it's really good to be with you today. And what we're doing actually uh, for the next three weeks is looking at the topic of shame, which is something that we looked at a few months ago at Woodland Central. So we're bringing it over here. Shame, what a cheerful subject. Why on earth would you want to talk about shame? One of the young adults, when I was talking about it with him, he just went, oh, it's a bit intense, isn't it? <laughs> and... Um, I thought it is, isn't it? It's intense to talk about something like that kind of topic in church. Do we want to do, you know, for some people, instantly you say the word shame, they're connected with their shame. And for other people, they're a bit like shame. That's not, that's not my thing. I don't really experience that. And I think we're all somewhere in that kind of spectrum. But in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, there's this vividly told story of Jesus with this woman who is brought to him and thrown at his feet by the religious leaders who say, she's been caught in the act of adultery, what do you think we should do? Don't you think we should stone her? And um, it's this very sort of moment full of, of tension in that particular gospel as Everyone's looking at Jesus, everyone's looking at the voices of accusation and hearing them, and then there's a whole crowd of people around who are just watching with fascination at this woman who, thank goodness it's not me, you know, it's someone else being shamed. And we've got a culture that absolutely is fascinated with shaming people. And there's something, there's all sorts of emotions in that kind of moment where somebody's caught in shame. And there have been so many things rolling out in the public sphere that we can, you know, you could list a load, couldn't you? And there's always this sort of load of emotions in there, you know, I'm glad that's not me. Or maybe there might be some people watching it thinking, it's coming for me, you know? I think that's in our culture, the time we're living in, this sense that I am vulnerable to that kind of exposure. That is why we talk about the topic of shame, because it's a really human problem. We're going to talk about it for three weeks, um, but the overall message is that in the Bible, the Bible tells us that shame is not the end of the story, but it is our experience. And you might have another name for it, but you do experience it, and so do I. Is there anything you don't want people to know about you? What would be the worst thing for people to find out? What if your thoughts were turned inside out and everyone could see your thoughts? What are the moments where you feel like, I'm going to hang back here because I feel weak or vulnerable in this situation? That is the area that we're looking at. It's really uncomfortable. Uh, some of you have, um, might have heard of Brené Brown. She's like a really well-known public speaker and author. And she's talked a lot about it. 
and she says this, that shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So she's, she's taking it further than just the embarrassment. She's saying there's something about that moment or exposure that makes us, that connects us with this vulnerability that every single person alive feels and the fear that we're not really worthy of love and belonging. Interesting. She's done 10 years of research on the subject of shame and vulnerability. I'm going to just get you, Paul, to scroll through really quickly these quotes. Now, these are from people in our congregations. Next, next one down, actually. Here. I'm afraid when you see who I really am, you'll reject me. I don't know if I'm really good at anything. Despite all my hopes and dreams, I'm afraid I'll never really amount to anything. Why can't I think myself out of this place? If I was a better person, I would be able to. Everyone else seems to have it all together. What's wrong with me? These are pe People have written these to me when I've asked them. Tell me some secret fears or thoughts that you have. I'm ugly. Next one. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm weak. I'm a disappointment. I feel so unworthy, dull, and inadequate. If people knew this about me, they'd be disgusted. I feel worthless and like no one is ever going to love me. I wish I could just disappear. Now, maybe for some of you, those are very familiar thoughts, and maybe some of them are and some of them aren't. But they're human experience thoughts. And maybe, I just want you to sort of locate yourself where you would be in this subject. Is this something familiar to you or something that you never really think about? And here, here are a few indications that we do experience this vulnerability. And um, the, these things, if you just, I'll just read through this list quickly. Worrying about what other people think about you. Anyone never done that? No. Feeling rejected, inadequate, and a failure. That is our human experience, isn't it? Worrying you're not respected. Now, some people say that men and women fall a bit on either side of a line around this subject, and men may be a slightly more vulnerable to that um, <clears throat> fear, particularly around their work life. And research has shown that that is the case, that men feel worried that they will be somehow seen to be inadequate in their work life, worrying about performance, perfectionism. Anyone here? <laughs> yes. What does it t say about you that you're a perfectionist? Some people who are perfectionists say, well, I'm a perfectionist, you know, I like things to be done well. And that's all it is to them. But there's, there's other stuff that goes on, they're drivers for something like that. <clears throat> Feeling like an outsider, trying to hide or be inconspicuous, fear of intimacy, hiding behind humour, that's an interesting one. Is it always the case, the funny people? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, so those things are indicators that somewhere there is something going on beneath the surface in our lives that is driving us to these kind of behaviours and thought patterns. And what is it? And we're going to read now from <clears throat> the beginning of the Bible. 
in chapter 3 of Genesis. And it is this story that's very familiar to us. It's got the serpent in it. It's the fall of humanity. It's, it's kind of, you know, the dawn of time. And one of the questions I often ask myself when I'm reading the Bible is, why is this particular story in the Bible at all? And why is it written like this? Now, this is a debated passage, these passages. Is this real? Is this... You know, is this a literal account? Is it, what's it saying? And I'm not even going to go there. I don't care what you think about that. It's in the Bible because the Spirit of God is trying to communicate something to you, I think, about the essential nature of being a human. That's what is the most insightful psychology of humanity, I think, that exists. And here it is in the, the beginning of the Bible, after these amazing stories of creation. And then we get onto the third chapter, <clears throat> where we hear this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the human, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for the food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable, for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. <clears throat> then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <coughs> so what we're going to do with that story and over the next three weeks, we're going to just keep on returning to it and looking at what it tells us about our human nature and our situation, our vulnerability and the message of what God does with that situation that we're in. So that today we're looking at the voices in the garden, and there's all these different voices that are contributing to the story and the conversation. Now, you can't get away from a talking serpent, okay? It feels like it's, pu it's pulling it into some kind of weird fantasy. You know, was there a time when animals talk... You know, that it's a strange little moment. So what's the point of the serpent? And whatever else you think about these stories, the serpent is a voice that represents something. And here is a voice that's saying, maybe you haven't got enough. And maybe what you are in this situation is not enough. And there's something on offer to you that will make you more adequate more able to cope, more secret knowledge that will help you to be more powerful and less lost, less on your own. And does God really want you to be like that? So the voice of the serpent is the voice in your head. Whatever else it is, it's a voice that says to you, there is a way for you to be powerful, 
and to get away from your vulnerability. There's something that can cover you and give you strength in your vulnerability. And really, you're alone. So take matters into your own hands and do something about it. That's what that voice is saying. What are those voices that we might hear in our, in our lives? I think there is a few here. I'm going to list a few. Voices of the parent. No one can get away from it. We were all brought up by someone. Unless you were brought up in the jungle, then you were, you were brought up by someone. The voice of your parents, the way that you were brought up, your upbringing, the, the, the narratives in your upbringing, you, it's hard to get away from them, isn't it? And I think there's more and more awareness and understanding of that. Psychology has converged with scripture and Christianity and Christian faith in the last few decades. And there's really agreement on these things that how we were brought up, the sort of voices that are going on in our heads often have come from things like our parents. Even in love, our parents can communicate things about our value and worth and strength and vulnerability that are really undermining. And sometimes we've got to go there and look at it. And sometimes they were struggling with shame. You know, the aftermath of great world events like the World War, you know, left people feeling totally inadequate, vulnerable, exposed to forces beyond their control. What did it do to that generation? How did that generation communicate to their children safety? You're a strong, powerful person, don't worry. Or did they communicate something else? You know, that's in our culture. Our peers are another voice. You know, the people around us, as we're growing up, it's very powerful when you're a teenager, when you're young, the voice of your peers, the voice of culture, you know, are you enough? Or are you a little bit inadequate? The surrounding culture itself says stuff to us about what is going to make us more valuable attractiveness, success in work, all those sorts of things. Our culture sets impossible standards in so many different areas, and we hear those voices. Sometimes the voice is our own voice. You know, there's something that's really common in the, in, for, internally for people who have been bullied, and that, that is that sometimes they become their own worst bully, and the voices that were in injected into them and spoken over them in their youth around that sort of thing, often they become the very, exactly the same and they're taking themselves down, criticising themselves, looking at it in the mirror, looking at their performance at work, thinking, you know, there's something deeply inadequate about you. That's another voice. And then finally, you can't get away from it in this passage, there is a voice that is very dark. And the voice of the serpent that is so undermining of connection to God and our value and offering something that at the same time as it's being offered is communicating how inadequate we are. And honestly, that's a very dark spiritual battle for many people and it actually does feel very dark, almost infected with some power for some people that drags them down into the darkness, into depression and anxiety. There we have it. There we have in the first few chapters of the Bible this amazing psychological input and diagnosis of what it is to be a human like you. That's what it is. And, you know, if you scan back, 
the previous two chapters, it will tell you something else about your humanity, how you're basically made in the image of God, how good it is to be made like in the image of God. And you've got these two jostling for position, for premier position, these two views of what it is to be a human being. So what happens? After the voices in the garden, we get the hiding in the garden. And we're going to go on to that next week. We're going to look at hiding. But hiding in the garden, that's the very next thing that happens. And honestly, it's like a heart-sinking moment. It's so poignant. Those passages when it talks about, you know, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, it communicates some idea that there's this communion with God, this beautiful sort of connection with God that was lost. And suddenly there's God looking, where are you? This voice saying, where are you? It's deeply... Um, sad and these human beings instead of running to God and saying I've made a desperate mistake what they do is they they hide in the bushes and I just think again you know you've got this story of people who are starting off in something amazing and glorious and connected maybe it's you on the first day you ever met God you know and you thought wow you know, everything has changed. I know who I am. I know who God is. And then suddenly, a few, some time down the line, you're hiding in the bushes, quaking with fear, wondering whether God still loves you. It's the story of the human race, isn't it? And even when we know God, we can still be stuck in those cycles um, of shame. And shame itself is can become almost like a physical experience as it is in that experience. Here's a little um, <clears throat> excerpt from a scientific paper on shame. If you go back up, Paul, I sort of miss, put it in the wrong order. But it's, um, it says this, shame pain. This is a psychologist describing what happens when you and I are in the pain of shame. Shame pain has a characteristic action urge in the body that represents the innate tendency to curl up and withdraw, to be as small as possible and or to disappear from the view of others. So this psychologist is saying that it's a bodily experience for some people. They just want to curl up and disappear. Anyone ever felt like that? When you've made a mistake or you've done something or you've, something has exposed you, the woman in the dust at the feet of Jesus, you know, curl up and disappear it's very you know it's a physical experience and this psychologist is saying sometimes people don't even know that that's what's going on while they're curling up but usually it's found that the shoulders are pulling down and forward as if to protect the chest and abdomen where the impact is felt the pain of shame that's what it is that's what we're in that's the situation that we're dealing with and hiding is an instinct so how do you hide? What do you do? Shyness? Defensiveness? Come out fighting? It's just as much of a, a form of hiding to shout your way out of every argument because you really underneath feel vulnerable and exposed. And people who shout are often just as much stuck in the cycle of shame as the people who are hiding and won't ever come out and only do the washing up at parties, that sort of thing. What is, what is it for you? Um, one, of the th one of the most interesting human emotions, I think, is the, is the emotion of righteous indignation. 
Anyone ever felt that? You know that feeling when somebody says something about you and you think, hang on a minute, how dare they say that about me? Or why, why, you know, I'm not like that. And that sort of feeling of being misrepresented, falsely accused, and this sort of feeling, this, hang on a minute, I want you to know that I'm better than you think I am. That feeling of righteous indignation is, again, such a human experience, isn't it? But it tells us something. It says, I'm vulnerable if you don't think the right stuff about me, and I want you to think well of me. And I hate it when you don't. And I feel inadequate, righteous indignation. And in this story, there's these voices saying, this is what you are. So what is the answer? And what we, what we have is another voice in the garden. There's this meeting moment in the garden where, in the book of Genesis, where, where basically God comes looking. And I think, you know, you've got a lot of moments in the Bible where you might say, that's a moment. <laughs> But here is a moment where God is saying, where are you to his beloved children, his people that he has made in this amazing garden? Where are you? This is the voice, the ultimate voice of God in the garden is saying, God is saying, where are you? I think Jesus, fast forward a few hundred thousand years, however long it is, we don't know. There's this moment when Jesus appears on the planet and ultimately it's God's, where are you? One day, Jesus will come and Jesus will bear the brunt of human shame and exposure. The very things that he protects us from, or even as we hear in a minute, the end of the story of the woman, he is the one exposed to shame, public humiliation, death of the shameful death on the cross. And it says in Hebrews that he endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Shame is God's the Jesus experience of shame is God saying where are you calling us out of that and ultimately the message of the Bible is that God is seeking you he is seeking you with the intention of finding you and there will be times and places and internal parts of your life where you are lost and hiding And you will find the Spirit of God in pursuit of you. And your your options are to do what they did, actually, and come out and admit and make this connection. And then as we hear over the next few weeks, God's got some solutions, some things to say. There are some consequences to what has happened. But ultimately, you need to know and I need to know that whatever, wherever we're stuck, God is saying, where are you? And can you hear my voice calling you out into freedom? And the story for us, ultimately, the story of our struggle with shame is also a story of how God meets us at our worst hour with unconditional love and acceptance, redeeming love and the power to heal. Let's just read the very end of that story of Jesus with the woman, because this is, again, is us. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him, and he straightened up and said, the sinless one among you go first. We're all in this. Throw the first stone. And bending 
Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. And hearing that, they walked away, one after the other, beginning with the oldest, the woman who was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, sir, she said, and then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. So that is where Jesus meets us, in the place of shame. And ultimately, what he says is, Where are they, the voices, that point the finger and accuse and where are you? And I, I just want to end there. We've run out of time. And I'm going to invite you to pray and just have a little moment with God and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to show you, can, you know, can I, can I recognize myself and my situation? Yes, come on up, um, worship band. And meet with God and hear his voice that says to you, where are you? I'm calling you into a new place of freedom and wholeness and connection to me. I've got an answer to the, those situations that we've been talking about. So why don't we just pray and if you're comfortable, close your eyes and just turn towards God. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would take us on a bit of a journey that you want us to be on of a new connection a new taste of freedom a new strength in our inner beings where we have felt exposed and inadequate and subject to shame we pray I pray God that your spirit would be at work amongst us in this community over the next few weeks let it be God that you draw us out into a place of new strength and wholeness that we hear your voice saying I don't condemn you that we hear you silence the accusers so Holy Spirit come maybe as we're worshipping if you'd like some prayer there's some people praying here for you and it may be that you just want to take a moment with those people and say I really want to go on a journey with this. I want new wholeness. I want to feel strong. I don't want to feel like hiding. Maybe there are some voices in your past where you know those voices have shaped your understanding of yourself and you want to hear God's voice over you, calling you. Where are you? I want you to know who you really are. So Holy Spirit, come. Come as we worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Yeah, as we, as the band leads why not go and grab someone if you'd like some prayer or pray with the person next to you or maybe just pray on your own and say to God, I'd love a new strength and wholeness in my life.